pros sitting right there. No, maybe you guys did something else. But um, I, had, I had this assessment done, um, and if, and if um, you had yours done, it's really quite interesting. I learned that I'm a sensing type. Um, there's a lot of different categories and whatnot, but one thing, I'm an, I'm an extroverted sensing type. Right? That means I don't kind of sit on what's inside. I need to outwardly process them with other people. I talk about my feelings and you know, how I think about things and stuff. So I'm an extroverted sensing type. But the sensing type is, is kind of interesting, and perhaps this fits your personality as well. If you um, look up the actual Myers-Briggs definition of sensing types, it says this, that they pay attention to physical reality. What I see, what I hear, what I touch, what I taste, what I smell. Um, I'm concerned with what is actual, um, what, what is present, and what is current. I don't like theory. Right? I, I just I want the facts. I don't like mulling around in those things. I want real things. So I notice facts, and I remember details that are important to me. I like to see the practical use of things um, and learn best when I actually can see how to use what I'm learning. Is there anyone like that in here? Like, so it's not so much books. You just don't give me a book. Show me how to do it. Right? That's kind of me. I'm a sensing type. And I've learned that to be true about myself. That experience speaks to me louder than words. Experience speaks to me louder than words. So this is true about my, myself. Like I said, I, I'm not re- I don't really enjoy theory or conjecture. I just want the answer, right? Um, I thrive in hands-on settings, sights, smells, sounds, bells, whistles. All these things um, are sort of my sweet spot. And maybe that's what you're like as well this morning. Now, it seems to me that when you read the Bible, it, it speaks to many different kinds of personality types. And the reason I bring this up is because I think what we read this morning is a prime example of God speaking to us in a way that sensing people can really grasp. <clears throat> Crave, it says, like you would a chomp, juicy burger, cheeseburger, you know that restaurant down the street? Oh boy. Crave the word of God. Grow like an athlete in your skill. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Like a, like a sweet, juicy, fresh watermelon. Taste it. The Lord likens relationship with him as satisfying the soul the same way food satisfies the body. And not just satisfies our nutritional needs, but exhilarates our senses. The Lord is the same to us in his word, in our spirit, as food is to our body. Now that is just true. So we've been talking about how tragedy affects our souls, if we can kind of transition from from that thought. We've been talking about how tragedy affects our soul, our attitudes, our beliefs, our behaviors, changes the way that we think and the way that we behave. The tragic events of our lives creates at times in us a great insecurity. If you go through a divorce, you wonder, should I even think about getting married again? Perhaps this will happen again. So our safety mechanism kicks in and prevents us from loving in a way that we used to. You see? These are our trigger reactions, our coping mechanisms to problems and to pain. And oftentimes, our coping devices sort of attempt to ease the pain, too or protect us from enduring a similar loss in the future. I think we've all been through this, and we've all done this. I hope that we can all identify with what I'm saying right now. 
And last week, though, if you were here, and if you weren't here, you can look this up online and hear the sermon online. But last week, we observed that how often love is the first thing to go when we go through trial. Love is is often the thing that shrinks back first. We hold it back, whether love for God or love for others, when we go through tragic loss. There's something about us that just doesn't want to love in the same way as we did before when we go through these things in life. When you stop loving, or when your love becomes more broken or sick, it demonstrates itself with certain symptoms. And those symptoms demonstrate that our love is damaged. And I want to demonstrate two things this morning, okay? That, he, that, that healing for our weary souls comes in two ways. Putting down and picking up. Putting down and picking up. Very simple, these two things. Okay? The things that we need to put down are the behaviors that are symptomatic of loss in our lives, our reactions, and we'll see those in a second. So let's first take a look at this putting down. The first word in our text, did you know this? Did you notice this? It said, therefore. Can we get the text back up on the screen? Is that okay? I just want them to see it. It says, therefore. You see that word? Therefore. Now, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Now, I had a teacher once, um, and I don't remember if it was college or seminary, but he said this to me. He said, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what is it therefore? <laughs> you like that? Okay. If you don't think it's funny, talk to him. Um, whenever you read the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what's it therefore? In other words, it's trying to, to make a point of something that it said prior. So you need to read back a little bit. You can't just start with therefore. You need to look at the verses preceding. And verses 22 through 25 will remind us of what they're talking about. Let me remind you, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply, okay, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Therefore, okay, now what's he talking about? Therefore, if you are to love each other deeply, if you are loving each other deeply, we need to rid ourselves of certain love killers, right? That's what this is saying. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. These are love killers in Scripture. If we have these sorts of attitudes in our heart and in our behaviors, it's an indication that something about our love has been affected or broken. These are the things that are those triggers, these behaviors set in motion by loss. In other words, we become like this because of a tragedy that has hit our lives. Okay? The insecurity we now feel because of a tragedy 
produces in us these sorts of coping mechanisms, these survival tactics. So our, our love grows cold, and we begin to behave in these ways. Malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These are sort of protecting behaviors that protect us from further injury. They're, anti they're antithetical to love, but are meant to protect us. And let me explain to you what I think I mean by this. <clears throat> These love-spoiling vices that are attitudes that need to be identified and purged if we're ever going to really heal, if we're going to move on past the injury, the moment of tragedy. These love-spoiling devices keep us sick. They keep us from being healed. You know that the word in, in the text and scripture, rid yourselves, it means to take off like you would clothes. So it literally means to take off this from, from your soul, from your spirit, like you would an article of clothes, pants or shoes. It's interesting to think that the occasions and trials of our lives have caused us to wear deceit like a coat. Right? Envy like shoes. We, we carry it around with us. Something happens to us. It breaks us. And we carry these things around with us. And we do it to protect ourselves. It seems odd why we would do this. It seems like this would make it worse, and it does, but we just sort of naturally fall into these pitfalls in life. We walk around with these clothes every single day. Oh, and isn't it true, friends? I can think of times in my life of loss and I, I can still feel the pain of it. And oftentimes, the way I might even react to some of you is because of something that happened 13 years ago to me. Because I'm afraid maybe this will happen again, and I'm seeing it. You know? So now I need to be jealous, or I need to be angry, or I need to react to protect myself from it happening again. We go through this in life. And isn't it true? So we need to ask ourselves a very important question. If we're wearing these clothes of deceit and malice and hypocrisy and jealousy and slander, if we wear these clothes, even if it's not every day, you know, it's not the first thing on your mind in the morning, but you just tend to fall into these pitfalls from time to time, we need to ask an important question. What was the triggering moment? What was the tragedy that broke us? You see, because if we can't go back to that and answer it, we're going to continue with, that, with, with this sort of behavior. You see, what occasioned us to put those clothes on to begin with? We need to, in, we need to invite each other to consider also that wearing these clothes is a problem and, oh, and this is hard. You ready? I'm going to injure your ego. Okay? It's not their fault that you wear this clothes. It's not someone else's fault. Now, what does that mean? It's my fault. I did this. I believed a lie. I stopped believing God. I stopped having faith. It was me. Something happened in me. It's not the jerk's fault across the street. It's not my ex-wife's fault. I got to wear, I got I to gotta take it. This is on me. My envy, my malice, my deceit, my hypocrisy, these love-killing vices that have made me 
oftentimes in life, incapable of really loving in a genuine way, this is not someone else's fault. It's mine. That's hard. But can I just invite, before you throw rocks at me, okay, can I just invite you to consider that the second you actually believe that, that's the first step to your healing. It's magic, man. Owning it, confessing it. This is my fault. My anger is my fault. I'm not saying that the pain isn't real. I'm not saying that what they did is okay. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences and boundaries. Okay, please don't misunderstand this. But what I'm saying is that a broken heart, an angry soul, a jealous spirit is not someone else's fault. That's my fault. Okay? <clears throat> if I were to evaluate how my attitude and my feelings go from day to day, um, I would say that, that this analogy is sound. I walk around with this stuff like clothes every single day. I can wear malice like a coat. You know, um, <laughs> I was on my way to, a friend invited me to a meeting, okay? And I'm on my way to this meeting. It's at night. I'm just going to give you a little example of malice in my life. This is a small one. I've done worse things than this, okay? I'm not telling you that one, those ones, okay? So I'm on my way to a meeting, and I'm driving along. It's at night, and I notice someone on a side road kind of sitting there waiting to go. So, good Samaritan, I decide I'm going to let this fella go. Right? So I stop, and I flick my lights because it's night. He goes, and all of a sudden, this big truck right on my butt. I see him in my head. He zooms up to me, lays on his horn. <laughs> right? Okay. Have you been there? Right? Okay, so I did the mature thing, right? <laughs> I did what any good Christian would do. I decided I'm not moving. <laughs> you know, I got time. I'm early. I'm going to wait. You know, so I did that thing that people do when, you know, right? You've, you've had it done to you where someone just decides you beep at them and they decide not to move. Okay, so that's me. So I'm sitting there getting my revenge, and it's sweet, right? So I just, I sit it out a little, and then I proceed slowly, <laughs> right? So, okay, so then I'm like, all right, enough of this, so I go on. And I'm driving, and um, I get to my meeting, and I sit down, and there's a bunch of guys there, and um, we're all sitting there, the meeting starts, and um, people are like kind of sharing about their life and whatnot. And it, get, it gets to this one guy. And he says, you know, I really need to learn um, to not react. Because, you know, even today, on the way, <laughs> there was this guy, this jerk. I beeped at him, and he wouldn't move. He did that thing, you know, that would people... So I'm, I'm sitting right on the side of this man. I'm like, oh, wow, I hate that. <laughs> that what a jerk. So, <laughs> so this was a Christian thing. It was a Bible study. So afterwards, I felt like, I got I to gotta talk to this dude. And I did. At that moment, it took me about a, a two and a half hours 
But at that moment, I was like, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to tell him I'm sorry. And I did, and it was better, and we hugged it out. Um, <laughs> small example of malice, right? Getting even. Someone injured me, and I'm going to get them back, right? We're, we're, what we do in those moments is we're balancing the scales. That's what we think in our minds. And injustice has happened, so we got to balance the scales. That's how we justify it, because we will justice, right? We need to enact justice. It's fairness. But really what we're doing is we're trying to make them pay. We're trying to make them hurt like we hurt so that perhaps they don't do it again to us, right? So we return injury for injury so that they know what they did to us injured us and that they won't do it again. Isn't that what we do? Right? And oftentimes, this is a small example of life, but I mean, up the ante a little bit with things. Someone cheats on you, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband leaves you, a wife leaves you. Now we're talking about things that are soul-crushing scenarios of life. Isn't that true? Oh, and we get mad. We get deceitful. We become hypocrites. We become envious, slander of every kind. Isn't it true? Our love dies, and that comes out. See? <clears throat> Our malice is the desire to harm other people. These are what, the, what these words mean. Deceit misleads other people through lies. Hypocrisy pretends to be someone that you're not to appear better that, than you are, right? Envy is wanting what other people have. That's an easy one, right? And slander talks down other people. They're a jerk and I'm not, right? That's, that's kind of the... the the, um, the footnote when we're talking down other people. We're not saying we're great, but that's, that's the footnote. That's what we're meaning when we talk bad about other people. <clears throat> now, I've been suggesting along that these behaviors are survival mechanisms, which is odd, because of a major or even a minor, you know, car problem. <clears throat> Consider a girlfriend or a boyfriend cheating on you with a close friend, maybe a husband or a wife cheats on you with a close friend. How does this stuff come out to protect ourselves? Why do we do these things? How, what is the logic like? Well, the malice portion of it makes us think we're going to make him pay. That he won't do this again to me because he'll feel the same pain I feel. See? Or how about the hypocrisy? How, does, how do we use hypocrisy to protect ourselves? Well, if we're really a lot more guilty than we're letting on, we pretend we're great. We're angels in disguise. So we're hypocrites. Or perhaps we're feeling lonely because of a loss. So we end up in some kind of sexual experience and we tell someone that we love them and we're just full of it. We just want to feel good in the moment. That's really what we're after. Our ego is bruised. We want to feel good again, so... We pretend like we have an affection for a person when we really don't. And isn't that also deceit, right? We're lying now to protect ourselves, to heal ourselves. We can even be envious. You know, if I had that, if I had what he had, then all the, these things that I feel about myself would prove themselves to be false, right? I get this thing or that thing, then all of my insecurities right now would be solved if I have this job or this money or that house or that girl, right? So we begin to envy and think, if I had this, then I would be whole 
and I would be happy again. Now, people that go through this, now all of the, even if you haven't gone through great tragedy, this comes out in us from time to time, but great tragedy and great trial and great loss has a way of aggravating this in us to an extreme. Isn't that true? And ironically, when we behave like this, we think it's going to heal us, but it also aggravates our pain. It makes it worse. It progressively wounds our soul. And Peter tells us to do something remarkable here in, in all these things. Now, now consider this in the context of having been injured by somebody else. Or maybe, it, maybe that injury wasn't even intentional. It's just a loss in your life. Peter says, put it down. Take it off. To the wounded, to the brokenhearted, to the betrayed, put it down and love deeply. Oof. Love deeply. In spite of your loss, in spite of the scenario, the situation, love deeply. Friends, if love is not any of those things, right? Malice and slander and envy. It's love is the opposite of those things, right? That's just logic for you philosophers. Love does not act out of spite. It doesn't seek to harm other people, but acts for their good. Love doesn't pretend to be something that you're not. That love doesn't desire to humiliate other people by the way we talk about them. And love rejoices in people's success. That's how we know we're actually loving someone. And maybe loving someone that doesn't deserve it. If you're like me, <laughs> and you probably are, putting these things down doesn't seem as easy as taking off a coat. <laughs> right? So what's going on here? It's not this easy because there's something deep down inside of us that's broken. There's something deep down inside of us. It's like trying to untie. It's, it's less like taking off a coat and more like trying to untie a big giant ball of knots. Isn't it? To, to actually change, to actually become someone who in spite of the tragedies of our lives is healthy and someone who loves deeply. How do you untie these knots? Well, friend, first of all, let me encourage you. Be patient with yourself because it is like a big ball of knots. This isn't like a light switch that all of a sudden one day everything makes sense and you're good now. It takes time. And that's why it's important to remember that the, the command for us to put these things down, it's not a once and for all act, but it's a daily putting down. You know, sometimes you think, like, I put that down and I'm good, and, you know, two years later something triggers you and you're right back in that pain again. Isn't that true? Well, you've got to put it down again. You see, this isn't a once and for all, for all act. The Christian life, the spiritual life, the life of following Christ is an every single day life. It's a one day at a time life, right? Growth and salvation, growth and healing comes from putting these things down. So friends, Christian growth and soul healing, it just is not possible with you carrying around that baggage. It just isn't. You got to prune for you farmers out there. You got to prune some stuff. You got to cut. But you know that the soul needs more than pruning. 
just like in gardening. I know nothing about gardening, by the way. But just like in gardening, the soul needs more than pruning. It needs nourishment. You see, for us to be able to put this stuff down, we need to be fed something. We need to be nourished. And that nourishment will transform us and empower us to actually begin to love again and to put these things down. So we need to pick up, in other words. We need to put down, but we also need to pick up, okay? Like newborn babes, and this is in verse 2, crave that, that pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You see, this is all religious stuff. I don't understand what this means. Let me, let me say it to you like this, if you're still maybe foreign to who Jesus is and Christianity is. Like newborn babes, crave God's word so that you can heal, so that you can become new, so that you can become transformed. Does that make more sense? Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Healing doesn't come simply by putting down. You need to pick up as well. You need both. As a matter of fact, you really can't put down until you pick up. Okay? It's going to be very hard for you to do this. We might even argue, like I said, the power that you get for putting down is by picking up, and picking up in particular the Word of God. Here's how the process goes in the text. It's given as a prescription for healing and as an antidote for those love killers, right? I think I put these in, in the um, presentation, so you'll see them on the screen. The first thing that our text brings out is that we need to long for this nourishment. You know, let me just explain it like this. If you're sick and your stomach hurts and your head hurts and you're in, in physically exhausted, you're going to start going to CVS, right? You're going to go to your doctor. You're going to go after something to deal with it. You're going to long after some sort of medicine to help you feel happy and whole again. Isn't that true? Well, friends, is your soul not the same? And don't we do the same thing all the time? We long for our souls to be heal healed, so we, we, we pursue all of these vain directions, these unhelpful courses of life that don't fix anything. A new girl, a new guy, a new job. I'll move. That'll work, right? But friends, we need to pick up the living word of God. The first thing we need to do, though, is long for it. We need to first realize that there, there is something in our souls that's, that's desperately wrong. And we need to long for the solution. We need to go after it. So we don't receive begrudgingly, like our kids eating broccoli. Right? That's why I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'll eat my broccoli. If you, if you don't see the magic, the power of God's word, you're not going to long for it. You're not going to see how powerful it is, how much you need it. My kids never ask for broccoli. They ask for ice cream, right? They ask for Skittles. They ask for these sorts of things, right? We're training them well, apparently. <laughs> a newborn baby is the analogy here, right? A newborn baby, do you know that a like a real fresh, right out of the belly baby doesn't really interact much with, with people, right? They don't think deep thoughts. They don't 
think, what am I going to do in the seventh grade? Right? Like they, they don't have these types of, who's my grandmother? Right? They're thinking one thing, milk. Right? And if you've ever had a baby, you know they come right out wanting milk. That's the first thing that they want. They crave it. They need it. They're calmed by it. They're nourished by it. They're soothed by it. The Bible says that that's what the Word of God is to us. It calms us. It soothes us. It gives us the answer to everything that we've ever wondered about life. It gives us direction and hope. It gives us love for the first time. You see, when we hear the Word of God, we start to realize how much we need it like that newborn baby. We need it more than the love of our husbands, of our friends. We need it more than power or jobs or money. We need the Word of God like we need breath, like a baby needs milk. You see, that baby longs for that nourishment. And so is the one who seeks the Lord consistently in his word. Oh, friends, you are nourished by it. And I I bet you, for, for people who are raising their eyebrow at me right now, I bet you that there's a whole host of people that could raise their hand right now and say amen. Right? I was lost, but now I'm found. You see, because when you taste it, when you taste the ice cream for the first time, you know, this is what I've been after. They long, number two, for the pure spiritual milk. They long for this nourishment, but they long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, this is important. We've kind of hinted at this already. When we're broken and we're desperate, we begin to claw and clamor after whatever's going to help us cope. Isn't that true? Heal from the pain, make sense of the events, whatever it might be. It could be drink, it could be sex, it could be love. Fill in the blank. We, we pursue so many different things. And ironically, I've said this already, but these are antithetical to our healing. It makes the brokenness even deeper and darker. Because they are deceitful. They're not pure. You see, th- those things can't provide that. That's what purity means. There's an Old Testament passage that I've spoken of before where it says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, friends, the pure milk holds water. Everything else that we pursue to heal our weary souls are broken cisterns. We go after them to make sense of life, to heal our suffering, but it just, as, as, as full as it is on one day, it's empty the next. It keeps leaking out. You see, the pure spiritual milk of God is the water of life, and when you drink it, you will never thirst again. If we're patient with it, it will provide what it promises. It's pure. It works. And isn't that what you're after this morning, friends? Something pure, something real, something that explains your soul, your life, and everything else around you. Isn't that what you're after? Well, the Bible says that is the pure word of God. That's where you get it. That's what you get the answer. Number three, they long for the pure spiritual milk. Okay? We've already said this, but the spiritual milk is God's word. Okay? What he says 
We think about God's word as the Bible, and God's word is the Bible, but it's more than that. It's life. It's real. It's truth. Right? If, If you kept jumping off a building and you kept falling and breaking your legs, you'd have some bad days, right? Wouldn't you? And, and I would come to you one day, and I, and I would explain to you with my words, that's because of gravity. And every time you jump off, you're going to break your legs, okay? Now, if I believe that word, it's life-giving, isn't it? It changes everything. It explains, right? You see, God is the creator. He made you and me. He made this world. He made us to be like him. His sin, when we read about the Bible and different like lists of do's and don'ts, he's not trying to be a buzzkill. He's not tra- trying to make us miserable. He's trying to make us thrive. He made us like him. For us to be happy is to be in relationship with him. And when we come to him, when we get that for the first time, his word is life-giving. We stop jumping off the building. Oh, You see, friends, that's the word of God. That's the spiritual milk. And it comes by hearing and believing him. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Born again. Okay, the born agains and all this language, right, that we know in our culture. Born again. You know what that means? You see God for the first time. You know it. You need him. He's the answer. Jesus died for your sins, reconciled you with the Creator, with God Himself. Jesus, the Son of God Himself, reconciled you with you to be in a radical love relationship with the Father, healed that relationship. You see it. You're born again. You get it now. You, you were going this way, now you're going that way. You have eyes that can see. That's what it means. And you know what does that for us? When we hear the truth. When we hear the Word of God, the Gospel message, the good news. That though you're lost, you can be found. That in your confusion and in your brokenness and in your sadness, there is a God, a creator, who loves you. Amen? The word of God reverses all the lies that we tell ourselves to protect ourselves from trauma. If I love, like for example, you know, if I love again, I'm, I'm just going to lose again. I don't want to go through that again. So that's our process, isn't it? Those are lies we tell about. But you know what the word of God does? It reverses it. It says, you will never lose God's love. Ever. You know, we fade like the flowers of the field. Like they fall to the ground. And they lose their glory. But God never loses his glory. When he says he loves you, he does not change his mind. He will not divorce you. And he will not die. He is living and breathing and alive. His word is life-giving, friends. Oh, he left me because there's something wrong with me. I'm a pathetic loser. That's why this is happening. But God's word says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I will draw you. Doesn't sound like a loser to me. God doesn't love losers. And he loves you, so that means you're not a loser. Right? I'm not safe. I lost my job or whatever, fill in the blank. I lost a loved one. But he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepares, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am safe. I don't care what sickness you got diagnosed with. The word of God turns it on its ear. You're safe. Hear the word of God. Believe it. Taste it. Long for it. It's true. It's not made up. It's not a story. It's not, a wish, it's not wishful thinking. The living God of the universe has spoken to us and proven himself to us that this is his word because he sent his son and resurrected him from the dead. This is not a vain hope. This is not a guess. This is real, friends. The spiritual milk nourishes our souls, defeats our lies, and empowers our love. Amen? Number four, by the spiritual milk we grow up. We heal. Our salvation, if you know Christ, becomes more full and more mature and more life-giving. We grow up, in, according to the, the word of God that we read in 1 Peter, we grow up in our salvation. Now, this might, if you're a Christian, this might be a little curious to you, this language. I thought, if, if you got any sort of kind of theological education, I thought once you were saved, you were always saved. Like, how can I grow up in salvation? It's like saying I'm going I'm, I'm to grow up as a, I guess that's a bad analogy, as a human. I, I grow up as a human. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, if I'm, if I'm saved, I'm saved. It's a past act that happened in the past because of Jesus at the moment of faith. So what is this language here? I thought once saved, always saved. Let me say it like this. <clears throat> Are we not saved from the penalty of our sin by the one-time death and resurrection of Christ? Yes, right? But according to the Bible, our salvation is not just past. It's also present and future. We are saved, uh, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, okay? We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Let me explain to you from other places in the Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, Right? This is in Romans. Right? And that's what the word saved means, if this word is kind of new to you. It means that we were dead in our sins, separate from God because of our sin. But we have been, our sins have been, been forgiven in Christ, and that we've been saved from the judgment, the penalty of sin, and now we're in right relationship with God again because, our, because it's forgiven and gone. Okay? We're back in this love relationship. That's what the word saved means, if you don't know. Okay? When you put faith in Christ, you have been saved. It's a past act, okay? But it's also a present act. We are being saved. And this is in Corinthians, another New Testament letter. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. But it's also a future event. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. So it's not completed yet. Something in the future is yet to happen. Friends, salvation for Peter is the complete deliverance from sin and its consequences and the full growth of love. It's the spiritual milk of the word of God that saved us, 
that is saving us and that will save us. Does that make sense? That is the power of God's word. When he speaks, it happens. Number five, to truly crave this word. Now, this is a head trip, okay? To crave this word, you must have already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, this might seem odd to you because it can kind of sound like that I'm saying that to crave the Lord, you must crave the Lord. (laughs) It kind of sounds like that, right? Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this tells me something, that there are people, and you might be one of them, that has not yet tasted that the Lord is good. And step one for you is to taste that the Lord is good. Now, if you have tasted that the Lord is good already, you need to crave the word of God. See? Keep going after it. That taste has become alive. It's like you try to uh, Greg's chocolate cake for the first time, right? You tasted it for the first time. Now you get how magical and wonderful it is. Now you crave it. You're going to go back, and you're going to get some more, right? So friends, those of you who know Christ know that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Why don't you crave him anymore? Why don't you go after him anymore? Has the word of God gotten neglected in your life? Has prayer gotten put down? Excite those taste buds again for the Lord. He is good. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, Scripture says. But what if you take a bite and he doesn't taste good? You know, friend, I'm not really a Christian. I don't, I don't get any of this yet. I'm hearing what you're saying, but it doesn't taste good to me. Right? I, I, don't, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Well, friend, can I just encourage you to consider this? That it's by his presence and his word that you will eventually taste how good he is. So test him. Keep eating and watch what happens. Keep eating. You know, the first bite, my kids learned this on Sesame Street. Okay? Elmo, oh, I hate Elmo. Sorry, Elmo. Elmo was eating vegetables. I don't like it. Right? Elmo, don't like that vegetable. I don't like it, right? Try it again. They had this little, if, I, don't, I forget the song. You, maybe you'll like it the second time, right? So he eats it again, and oh, this is good. Friends, sometimes life works like that, right? We don't get it at first. But we know there's got to be a God. He made us, and if he speaks, this has got to mean something. So I'm going to keep eating. I'm going to keep coming after him until I come alive. And friends, when you seek him, you will find him you will one day taste that he is good. It seems to me that the one who sincerely seeks him will find him. One day that bite of food will seem to you like the first time that you ever took the bite. Isn't that true? Oh, if you're a Christian, raise your hand. How many times did you hear the gospel before it made sense? Was it more than once? Can you raise your hand again? Yeah, it didn't taste good. You didn't get it. You heard it a million times. You heard the verses, you heard the songs, you, you heard all the language, all the, but you didn't get it. But one day, you did. And everything came alive. All those old hymns that didn't make sense to you are making you cry now. Isn't that true? You Episcopalians and Catholics out there, one day, you, you, 
I can't believe what I was singing. I didn't get it, but I get it now. You taste and you see that the Lord is good, friend. Keep coming after him. I'm not telling you to come to my church. I'm not self-serving here. Pick up the word of God. And in the quiet of your own house, in your own closet, go after him. Okay? And come and taste him because he's good. He's good. He's better. He's better than anything you've tasted before. Oh, it'll unlock all of this power. And it will help you to put all that stuff down. Right? For the first time, you can actually love. You can actually put down your envy and your slander and your malice. All the baggage and anger and hate and confusion and hopelessness. A light comes on. You're born again. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. Amen? That's the power of the word of God. And I invite you to test it, to eat it every day. Because when the creator king speaks, he moves, he works. Stars come into existence. Galaxies come into existence. Let me read to you some of the Bible's example of the power of the word of God and how much we need it. Be good to your servant while I live, that I might obey your word. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. I'm a stranger on this earth. Do not hide your word from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand your ways and your precepts, your word, that I might meditate on it day and night, your wonderful deeds, what you have done for me. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Not to pie, right? Not to hard work. Strengthen me according to your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I put hope in your law. I will always obey, obey your word forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I know your word. I will walk about in freedom, because I know your word. That's why Paul can be in prison and be free. That's why Paul can be poor and be free. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can be thrown into a fiery furnace and be free. And that's why you can be free. Because when God speaks, it's powerful. Listen to him. Hear him. Let him correct you. Let him insult you. Let, let him, all those things we don't like about him, just listen to him. Hear him. Oh, and come to him. Never take your word from my mouth. I will walk in freedom. I will speak of your statutes before kings. And I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your word because I love it. Psalm 119. Oh, what a beautiful psalm. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God, it endures forever. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields us who take refuge in him. Psalm 18, 30. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you 
causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God that comes from his mouth. That's your life. And you know what the, the Bible says in John chapter 1? These aren't just abstract ideas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word has a heartbeat. His name is Jesus, and he loves you. Let me close with one more illustration that I sort of hinted at earlier. You know that in the Bible, there was a woman broken by the tragedies of life, and she sought for herself healing and having multiple sexual partners. And Jesus met her one day at a well. Did you know this? Broken and depressed and lonely and sad, he asked her, fetch me some water. And she says, no. Why are you asking me? I'm a woman. Right back then, that mattered, right? And he starts to explain to her that if she drinks from his water, that she'll never be thirsty again. If she keeps drinking her water, she's going to keep being thirsty. But if she drinks his water, he'll never be, she'll never be thirsty again. Jesus says these words, and hear them please. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never, ever thirst again. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you have been rescued from everything. Yourself, this world, your problems, everything. Come to him. We're thirsty, aren't we? In our confusion, in our reactions, our mouths are parched. Oh, friends, come and taste Christ. Hold up his word. It's sweet, the sound of his voice. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Oh, God, I know.